Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Um, Maz and I are obviously, he's at his office, I'm in the kitchen. There's construction in the basement of our house, so we'll see how that works out. My internet kind of conked out on me earlier. We're just going to hope for the best and see how this all goes. But I also have to say that on Tuesday, I feel pretty confident that I told you at the end of our conversation that we would absolutely be live today. That was also um, a mistake. We are not live today. We're doing a pre-record. So just we're almost live, lover. Well, we're live as we're doing it, but they're not even like watching it live. So at any rate, rather than get caught up in that, I am excited to introduce you to our guest who was introduced to us through Arlena Allen. You might remember we had Arlena on from the One Day at a Time podcast, I don't know, maybe maybe six or eight weeks ago. But let's bring forward Michelle Ferris to join us. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. This is lovely. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. And we'll just hope for the best. You probably heard me say everything's been a little topsy-turvy today. So we'll just see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So thanks for joining us, Michelle. Why don't you just quickly give us a little bit of backstory Mm -hmm. about who you are. Tell us what an LMFT is. (laughs) So that's Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. Mm, great. So you go through the education, the master's program, the hours, that kind of thing. And I'm also an anger management specialist, which is just another certification. So um, we're ha- you're on with us today because you have both sort of a personal, not sort uh-huh. of, you have a personal connection <laughs> to an addiction journey, uh-huh. and then you also yeah. work with it. So maybe you just want to start with sure. your kind of there to hear story of your own sure. journey. Sure. So uh, ironically, I got introduced to 12-step programs at 12 when my best friend got sober. And uh, yeah, at 12 years old. Wow. Pretty amazing. Yeah. If, there was, so I, if there's a winning for youngest sober person we've talked to, <laughs> your best friend wins. Yeah, no, no kidding. No wow. kidding. Uh, and so I went to AA meetings with her and I loved it. But I wasn't alcoholic, so I couldn't go. So I don't know, maybe a couple months into it, she said, well, you know, they have one for food. And I said, oh, no. (laughs) So as much as I loved it, I was not willing at that point because I'd always been um, had issues with food since birth. I think I was I'm sure I was born with it. But it was so, you know, looking back, it's like even though I knew I had trouble, I was not willing until fast forward. I was 21. I went to college for a little while, bombed out because uh, when you come from a dysfunctional family and you don't have any tools and <laughs> and you try to live a happier life, it doesn't go well. Uh, and it did not. So I came home from that and my best friend at the time said, why don't we try an OA meeting? And I said, I specifically said, why don't we go to a restaurant instead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, that's addiction, right? That's mm-hmm. addiction. And because she was my binge buddy and we would we would eat together. And I'm so grateful that she said, 
no, let's go. She pushed me a little bit. Uh, and I always think back because I could have missed that. So I started my recovery. Then I started codependency recovery because once you're in addiction recovery for a few years, you really notice how dysfunctional your relationships are. Uh, at least I did. <laughs> so I had to be willing to be a newcomer again and start Al-Anon. And that was when I had the perfect marriage of recovery. I felt like I had my bases covered and that was really, really um, lovely. And while you know it's not a perfect journey, it's definitely a journey for me that's so worth it. It's so worth the pain because what, what do they say? The best day in, the worst day in recovery is better than, you know, the best day out of recovery. And I really believe that. Wow. So you're a pretty close second starting at 21. That's young too. It is. I think for food, uh, yeah, that you're either, you know, at the time there were a lot of 50 year old women there, but there's a lot of young people going in because of anorexia. Sure. Uh, that's a very sure. deadly disease. So uh, when you have that, you tend to come in uh, typically younger. But yeah, I was really grateful that I, uh, I got to come in young. And my father was in recovery at the time from alcohol. And we actually attended uh, a John Bradshaw workshop together. Wow. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've talked to um, some other children of addicts who also had um, like, you know, your, your life sort of revolves around AA if you're part of a family who has a member who goes there. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not that surprising that that was a comfortable place for you and that you found, found commonalities. I, that's just, we, we see that sort of happening over and over as we're talking to guests who have generational experiences with this. Yeah. Okay. So you, you began the journey of conquering that and then mm -hmm. somehow landed up as a licensed marriage and family therapist. So how did that yeah. become the door that you walked through? Well, around the same age, I don't know what possessed me, but I asked my mom if we could go to therapy and she said, yes. I don't know how she said yes, but she did. And I felt so supported in that process she had her therapist, I had my therapist, and then we would do family. And I just knew, I thought, you know, this is something I really love. So, and I was always focused on feelings. I was a sensitive kid. I always tried to figure out what was wrong with my family. I never could. Uh, and so all of that kind of made me very willing to become a therapist. Interesting. So how long have you done this work? Let's see. I took a long break when my son was born, but probably about 15 years. Oh, okay. But I've, but I've been in recovery for 33. So I wow. definitely took, so maybe I've been working more than that. I, I didn't take 15 years off, but yeah, about okay. that. Okay. So now you have a program called Counseling Recovery, and I'll put the right. link in the meeting notes. So, right. so tell us a little bit about that, because I, one thing that I think has been so illuminating through COVID is just how much work can be done online, how many how many more resources and doors yeah. it opens for people, because yeah. now you're not geographically limited to who can I drive to, to see. Suddenly the world right. is kind of your potential 
for therapy, help, treatment, all those kinds of things. So talk about that for us. Yeah, well, I, you know, I definitely noticed, for me, it was a smooth transition because I had already done a few sessions on Zoom. Uh, but the convenience, I mean, thank God we had Zoom through the pandemic and people could go to 12-step meetings online because they all immediately morphed into Zoom meetings. And mm -hmm. uh, I noticed a lot of my product sales went way up the year of COVID because oh. people were searching, yeah. you know? And, and for me, it was so lovely to see the willingness. Like people were hungry and people were wanting uh, help and were motivated. And, you know, in a weird way, <clears throat> even though the pandemic in terms of mental health was not good at, for many, it did open the door for a lot of people to seek help. Mm. Maz, maybe you want to talk about sort of your your understanding of in-person versus yeah. virtual and how that how that shifted for you, because maybe Michelle will have some thoughts around that. I when it when the when the pandemic first hit, I was um because everything shut down. In fact, I was trying to get a, a good friend of ours, he's a, a guest in our show, um, to come to his first AA meeting with me. He just got out of uh -huh. therapy. We, we met in the parking lot. Everything was great. There was a little handwritten note on the door saying, treatment center shut, no AA meeting. Mm, and there was yeah. no, hey, we're going somewhere else. There was nothing mm. for three weeks. And then it filled, it started filtering down to us. They'd set up a Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, we got the, you know, we got the Zoom address, and for about three months, I, I went every Friday. There was fifteen of us, and then I hate to say this, but because I was used to sixty or seventy people, and it was yeah. a treatment center, so every other week there was at least twenty-three new people. Yeah, and I love that because I could say something that you know, listening to them because I've been sober long enough to actually be able to feel like I could say something useful. I'd love doing that. And then listen to the same 15 people, just how their week was. It, it, I hate to say the word monotonous, but that's kind of how mm -hmm. it got. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, that was really common. A lot of people got zoomed out and unfortunately left. And, you know, I agree. It's definitely, it, it definitely wasn't uh, easy to connect. I think that's the difficulty is it is harder to connect on a, 12-step meeting when you don't feel someone and that's you know, it the, there was a lack of connection that's exactly it right and then nobody said hi Maze," right because yeah. they it was silent and so there were a lot of little rituals we missed uh because we couldn't do them on zoom so i totally understand we had a lot of influx meetings in oa too uh but the other thing i noticed was a lot of people came from other countries and that oh, was yeah. really cool. Like you, you could see people visiting from out of state. Yeah. Yep. They were like trawling which state to go to an yeah. AA meeting. It's kind of cool. Yeah. But I always, yeah. my dad always told me that you could always, you should always think of a positive. So my positive to all of that was, you know, AA meeting. We finally got to know each other's last names. We, a lot of us became friends <laughs> and friends, but we actually knew who we were. Right. Right. Well, we had to. What, oh, uh, Maz got disconnected. Well, I assume he'll come back when he can. Okay, so um, let's talk about the products. Oh, there he is. Oh. Not sure what happened to you, Dr. Mary. I have no idea. It was like a hiccup. Anyway, oh, yeah. I was saying to Michelle, let's talk about some of the products and materials that you've developed in your work 
because I think we have an audience that I think really craves mm. um, meeting meeting new people, hearing their stories, learning more mm -hmm. about them. So share some of right. that with our audience. Sure. So uh, my very first product was uh, an anger course, which is now a four week Zoom course. And I started that in the middle of COVID and boy, was that popular. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it still is because for me, like I, I research what other professionals are doing and I see courses for 12, 16 weeks. I'm sorry. I, as a person of recovery, would not last 12 weeks. That's a long time mm. <laughs> um, because people burn out, especially yeah. on Zoom. So I made four weeks in and out. You get the skills to manage your anger, to take care of yourself, to communicate better. Um, but honestly, a lot of the products I created were gaps in my own recovery. Oh, you were your best test case. Yeah, because I thought, okay, 20 years in, 25 years in, what did I miss? Well, I missed self-trust. <laughs> I had no desire to uh, really cultivate a relationship with myself until much later in recovery because I was too addicted to people. So I created a self-trust journal. I created a codependency workbook. All the things that for me, I wish somebody would have given me because it would have highlighted more issues faster. Mm. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I'm just going to, and for me, it's a creative process because it kind of brings together my professional and my personal passion. So I love that. Michelle, can you talk about codependency? Because I, um, first of all, I think a lot of people have codependency mm -hmm. issues yeah. and maybe don't even understand that you can cross into sort of an unhealthy level yeah. of codependency. And I guess my first question for you is, is there such a thing as healthy codependency? So there is such a thing as there are some traits like giving, generous, uh, volunteering that at the core are healthy, but become codependent when we're out of balance. So if mm. I give, even though it hurts me, that's codependency. If okay. I love you so much that I can't live without you, <laughs> that's codependency. But if I love you and I still have myself and I still have my own life, that's healthy. That's the goal. But, oh, um, that is so a thin it, line. It, it is a thin line because we're taught to focus on, you know, finding our prince, finding somebody to complete us instead of looking at ourselves and going, okay, how do I feel about myself? And can I be centered in myself enough to have a healthy relationship? Or do I need you to feel happy? Because that's where the danger lies. Sure. That is really interesting because Dana beat me to this question because I, when I saw that, I, I just got, I'm doing the, the pure academic. I've got a cheat sheet of your stuff up here. <laughs> I love it. It says codependency. And I read a question mark because in my mind, until you said that codependency and the experience I have from it is a drug addicted alcoholic or an alcoholic drug addict, depending mm. on which one you went for first. So hearing your spin on codependency is really interesting yeah the other thing i added and i added this from ross rosenberg which i loved was it's also a deficit in self-love and that sets mm. us up to depend too much on others to get our mm. worth from what we're doing instead of who we are because think about it if we feel really good and solid within ourselves we don't need 
to be codependent. We don't look outside of ourselves for that validation, even though some of that is normal. But if that's 90% of how we get our validation, then that's definitely for sure codependency. But I love added that self-love piece because I do think that drives the behavior, the lack mm. of. So can you give us, without giving away your coursework, can you give us like what's one thing somebody could do mm -hmm. to move from mm -hmm. maybe self-loathing to self-love? Because, I, wow, I feel like find a human who doesn't have exactly. a fair amount of loathing. Exactly. Well, one of the things I say in my anger class is that if I sat down with you for 10 minutes and heard your story, your behavior would make total sense to me. Your anger, your hurt your dysfunctional behavior, because we do it because we're hurting and we've learned these behaviors. We didn't sign up someday and go, I'm going to be a jerk, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's really, I don't know how to live life. And yeah. the only tools I have or what I learned from mom and dad or what I learned from growing up, and those are often insufficient. So to me, that's the first step in com having compassion for yourself. Even I used to teach a 52-week anger management program. And I loved it because every guy in there witnessed abuse. Every guy in there witnessed unhealthy anger. So of course they're gonna grow up and have violence and, and those tendencies because they didn't learn anything else. Yeah. So to me, there's just a lot of compassion for, you know, none of us signed up for this. Yeah, isn't that true? I, I was thinking about a friend of mine's dad who was, um, had served active tours in Vietnam yeah, and yeah. came home with a lot of problems. And I, I don't know why I was thinking about him this morning, but I was just thinking, you know, what, what might his life have been like? Oh yeah. What might his marriage have been like his relationship with his children had mm -hmm. that enormous yeah. traumatic disruption not right. been placed on his shoulders. Right. I just think we, we're ill equipped to manage so much of what life throws at us because so much of it right. is out of our control. Right, and yeah. a lot of institutions just put the mental health to the side. But now, thanks to the pandemic, you know, it's becoming more of the forefront. People do have anxiety, they do have depression, they do have relationship problems, and this is an anger problem. This is part of life. And companies are starting to realize that, which I think to me is really, uh, great progress like mental health days. And I mean, I have one client that they literally talked about, you get, you know, X number of days for your mental health. And I'm like, that's so great. That's so great. I wish yeah. more companies would do that. You know, do you think that there is a rise in mental health um, cases? Or do you think there is just a better understanding and a, a better willingness to address it, talk about it and treat it as something real versus something, mm -hmm. you know, made up. What, where, where does that fall for you? Because I can't believe the number of mental health cases that people yeah. seem to be yeah. talking about now. Yeah. Well, it's definitely the forefront. I think the pandemic put a match under us <laughs> and it literally like if you had any issues before the pandemic, it just lit a fire. And I think people realized, oh my God, I can't cope. You yeah. know, it because oh, most people yeah. most people don't seek therapy or 12-step recovery until they're hurting. They're mm. it's gotta rot the problem. 
I'm not going to wake up one day and go, oh, I'm drinking a little too much. Maybe I need AA. No, I'm going to lose a relationship. I'm going to lose a job. I'm going to lose something precious to me. And then it's going to wake me up maybe to get recovery. Yeah. So, Michelle, where I work and and what I do, we kind of get inundated with people using the, it's almost to me, like, and one of our counselors on campus said it's kind of, being used as a buzzword would you agree with that if someone says oh you know here's my excuse it's my mental health i mean yeah that's a really vague way because to i that. don't want to be one of these people that starts brushing someone off if it yeah. is a mental health thing if you just keep hearing someone say oh it's my mental health that's why i'm late or that's why i haven't yeah. done my assignment yeah is that a dangerous thing to do yeah i mean to me even if i said oh i'm late because i'm struggling with my recovery okay but is that you know we don't want to cry wolf there may be times in our life that we do say hey my mom just died or hey you know i'm really struggling with some abuse from my past and i need but to me that's a more honest way of communicating than doing the blanket because if someone does the blanket oh i just had i have mental health issues what does that mean yeah, yeah, get in line. And it does sound like an excuse. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm, I'm yeah. I don't want the tip into the wrong side of that one. I, you know, I just take a breath. I have a mindful moment and go, all right, let's get to the root of what your mental health is and see if it's worthy right. of an extension. That's right. Yeah. Because if they don't have a reason, it's going to be very apparent. They're going to be scrambling yeah. for words versus, well, you know what? I'm really struggling with my anger right now and my marriage is on the rocks. Great. At least you have an honest answer. Right. You know? so I've got a question for you as well. Um, so sure. you said yourself, and we all know that, unfortunately, since the pandemic, addiction instances have increased. And, and you yeah. said you're seeing some more anger issues. Mm-hmm. Are they connected? Are you seeing more people? because they realize they're addicted or they're so angry and then they realize part of their anger is they have an addiction Mm. i think people had the issues before the pandemic but the pandemic exacerbated them enough to get their attention but i do think a lot of people to your point of addiction uh i mean there's a lot of studies that showed you know the sale of alcohol just went crazy because people were you know alone and couldn't leave their house and so a lot of people who were maybe heavy social drinkers started moving down the chain to really depending on it so i do think the the pandemic created a lot more addiction issues just simply based on the level of stress but the coping styles and the propensity for the addiction was probably there before the pandemic because you know i had no problem not drinking or using food because I have recovery. You know, I don't want drinking was never my thing anyway, but you know what I mean? It's like, so the people who had the tools were the people who were able to navigate the pandemic really well. Um, But sadly, a lot of them, you know, just didn't have them and didn't realize how much they needed them until the pandemic. Yeah. That's, that's a really really interesting point is, is that, people who didn't realize it or who suddenly time became so fluid that, you know, like I, I have a a friend who um, I was having coffee with and he said to me, you know, 
COVID. Like it sort of became acceptable to have a beer at lunch. And that sort of started, suddenly I'm drinking five hours earlier than I normally would. Maybe yeah. I'm now having two beers then maybe. So by the time yeah. I get to my first beer at five, I might be four beers in. Yeah. You know, and so it's, yeah. I think there just was, there, there was so much less accountability, even if you weren't alone, because right. you were home yeah. and like, who's looking in your coffee mug? You're on a Zoom call. You don't know what's in no. this. You know, right. it's, it's a, it was a really fascinating, and I use that both positively and negatively yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so where do you think we're going if you can put your kind of a futurist hat on, Michelle, uh -huh. where are we going with mental health? Are we moving towards addressing it better because the pendulum has really swung so far that we're talking about it all the time now and we'll settle we into the middle? Where, where do you see I do think we going? are. I think because of the pandemic, these issues are right in people's faces. So there's a lot less stigma mm -hmm. because everybody knows someone who struggled during the pandemic everybody yeah. so it's like that's the the great gift out of it is that i do think mental health issues and people looking for help has become more normal uh, and more a part of hey we need to take care of our mental health and you know a movie like that uh oh that gymnast who decided oh, simone, to um yeah. simone biles yeah. I had to bow out because of mental health. I mean, that makes an impact. Yes. Those people are doing such a service to us by saying, you know what, there's a limit. And the more we do that, and that's part of the reason why I share some of my story. Um, not because honestly, it's always hard for me because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the person I'm serving, but I want the person I'm serving to connect and say, Oh, I'm not alone. Even she has problems. Yeah, we all do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because that's how we can all bind together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really um, important. And I think if we look at other things that have just become accepted culturally it really was because people just stopped hiding it and started talking yeah. about it started living their lives yeah. the way they needed to and suddenly it was normalized which is a good thing yeah um, michelle how can people find you and your work and your materials and your courses uh it's counselingrecovery.com and i am actually doing my next calming your anger four-week class uh starting august 25th so if people are interested, they're going to get lots of help, lots of support. And uh, it's really, it's not just for the rager. It's funny when, when I say I work with anger, people go, oh, you know, <laughs> they kind of have that, oh, you work with, with rage. But honestly, I work just as much with people who don't honor their anger and they stuff it and they get sick and they get resentful and they do the passive aggressive silent treatment because that's the other form of uh, unhealthy anger is, I'm not going to let you know how mad I am, but I'm going to make you pay for it because I can't control it. I can't, I can't contain it over time because over time it's going to leak out. Yikes. So uh, Maz and I are talking to you from the Midwest, which is the, uh, you know, mountaintop of passive aggressive land. Ah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's funny, <laughs> as you were talking about anger management, I was going to say to you, 
what should somebody and like who needs to come to that who's not yeah. the person who's punching walls but actually probably most of us have some level of right. anger we're either it leaning too far into or not leaning far enough into so all right give yeah. me give me one tip on mm-hmm. on that because that i think yeah. i think anger is really tricky it is tricky but Sometimes people relate to the word stressed and it's the same reaction in the body. It's that fight, flight, or fawn response. So one thing I have people do is, and it's super easy, is take your emotional temperature, which means one to 10, rate your stress or your anger level. So most of us live at a one to two. We have, you know, all of us have stress going on, but we're good. We're calm. Nothing's happening. Usually when we jump to a three, four, we're like, oh, I can feel it. It's brewing, but it's not that bad yet. So I'm probably going to ignore it. And that's the danger. So I come home, house is a mess. Now I'm a five. Now I'm yelling. Now I'm, why is this house a mess? I can't believe it. I didn't need this today. Ah." And then if that continues, like maybe my spouse, um, yells back at me, calls me a name, let's just say, then I'm six, seven, eight, and I'm screaming and there's no control. There's no coming back from that. But what people don't realize is when somebody explodes in the moment and they go, God, I just like, the house is dirty. What's the big deal, right? We don't understand that there's a trail of stress that that person has not acknowledged yet. And if they can, and when they can, if they could have come home and said, wow, I'm a five right now. I'm, I'm not going to even come home yet. I'm going to sit in my car and listen to my favorite song. Do something to take care of yourself once you know you're at that four or five level. Don't ignore it. Oh, that's really good advice. Yeah, that is good advice. Good. When you said most of us live in one or two, I thought, oh, dear. I'm not <laughs> sure I've ever been a one or two. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. And I, um, I meant... Yeah, we live that if it's good. But honestly, I had one client, I asked him, I said, what's your number typically when you wake up? And he said an eight. And I was like, holy cow, because of the worry. Worriers tend to wake up and they're like, what do I do today? I'm not going to get anything done. My mom's mad at me. My marriage is terrible. So worry can actually help us uh, get higher on that stress anger scale too so we really want to watch our thinking which is all what i address in the course yeah mindfulness it's really interesting probably it's incredibly true. beneficial for more people than than one yeah. would think yeah it's not it's funny because i i wondered who i was going to attract when i started having the class and i have not attracted anyone who was a domestic violence abuser because that's a different uh course I'm attracting the average men and women. They're actually equal in the class. Um, It's not all men. And they just are everyday folks, super sweet, lovely people. They just don't know how to contain it. And it's like, for me, it was so validating because I always knew professionally that, yeah, the average bear, including me, because I was a stuffer, has difficulty with this emotion. And it's really neat to see the everyday person get help you know, and not lose everything first because yeah. you don't need to wait that long to get help. Yeah. So, well, that's such smart advice for 
whatever you're struggling with, concerned about, afraid you might be moving right. toward, you right. don't have to hit rock bottom no. to say, boy, I'd love some help. In fact, wouldn't it be great if everybody could get help when they hit that three, four point, as opposed yeah. to yeah. waiting till seven, eight in any yeah. area of life that you're struggling with? Exactly. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I made it four weeks, because I knew if I did an eight week course, people would be like, eh, I don't know if I have that much time. Yeah. But four weeks, people have four weeks. Yeah. You know, you're in, you're out. And then most of them might want to continue to work at some point doing something else. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So, so interesting, Michelle. Thank you for sharing all of this oh, with you're us. You're welcome. I hope it helped. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic it, stuff. Well, yeah. I, I always, I mean, we love every Thursday conversation we have and they're always valuable, but it's great when we can occasionally bring somebody on who's talking about um, addiction from a completely different yep. angle. Because I, I think, I, I so let me just, I'll say this and then you can tell me if you agree or not. It feels yeah. to me like if you're somebody who stuffs your anger down, that's sort of an addiction to the fear of being judged for being not a good girl or too loud or all those exactly. things. And if you're somebody who erupts spontaneously, I'm raising my hand there so that Dr. Mary, you don't have to point at me. <laughs> Love the accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then you've got your own issues to manage. And I think yeah. a lot of our audience are not people for whom alcohol is their problem, despite the fact that that's sort of the theme of our show. So I love when somebody can come on and say, boy, if you're, if you're struggling here, look what we can do to help you with that. Right. Absolutely. There's so many resources out there. Well, the reality is none of us gets by without struggling with something. That's so right. It's about just being okay with that and, and being okay with asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Michelle, thanks so much for Thank joining you, us today and for the work that you're doing. Oh, I you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, oh, important it's fantastic. interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll be in touch. Everybody else, we will be back on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Thanks again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.